episode 200. Wow. Thank you. It's all down to you and your support. To celebrate the Milestone 200th edition, I've invited a special guest onto the show to interview me. It's a warts and all look behind the scenes, and we chat about body combat, fighting complexity, writing a marketing book, and finding the right balance in life. Welcome to episode 200 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Well, it's episode 200, and I wanted to do something really different and really special to celebrate. So I decided to get my friend Chris Marr back on the show to interview me. Chris first appeared back in episode 80, and since then, we've become good business buddies and close friends. I'm a member of Chris's CMA, that's the Content Marketing Academy community, and I spoke at his CMA Live conference back in 2017. We share many of the same philosophies and have both been working hard to ignite, or in my case, reignite, our speaking careers. So Chris, welcome to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Oh, thanks for having me back, Roger. It's really fun to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Exciting. 200 episodes, Roger. That's an amazing, an amazing uh, accomplishment. How do you feel about it? Well, do you know what? You sort of sit there and you think that is pretty much an episode a week for nearly four years. And yeah. I've had a few weeks off for illness, a few weeks off for holidays and that sort of thing. And and I suppose you could look at other podcasts. You know, some people do a daily podcast. So for them, it's a year to get to 200 episodes. But I actually don't think that the frequency matters. I think it's the consistency that matters. And, and I'm feeling pretty damn good about 200 episodes, I have to say. Absolutely. You definitely should feel good about yourself. I mean, 200 episodes, 200 of anything, you know, over a long period of time is... is uh, is an amazing accomplishment and uh, even looking at my own podcasting uh, woes and challenges over the years since 2014 I have got to about 140 or 150 I think and uh, it's just it's amazing I know how, how how difficult it is or how challenging it can be to turn up every week with something new to talk about so yeah congratulations first of all Roger for this amazing amazing accomplishment it's a very inspiring moment and uh, it feels great to be here to join you today to interview you so thanks very much for asking me to do this. Absolutely my pleasure, Chris. And I'm now going to hand myself over to you. And we haven't rehearsed this. We've sort of given ourselves a little um, outline and a few targets, but Mm. I don't know what questions are coming. It could be a little bit warts and all. So I hope everybody enjoys this. So Chris, I'm in your hands. Thank you very much. The responsibility is mine. So I think uh, I was thinking a lot about this uh, interview, Roger, before before today, I'm thinking to myself about, you know, what do what do I not know really that much about Roger? I know we've become really good friends and things like that, but there's, you know, we see a lot of times it's just the surface level and what's happening online. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the audience, the people that are listening to your show, you know, they hear your interviews week in, week out, but do they really get to 
see and understand and get to know the real Roger, you know, what's happening in his life and what he's up to and his, his real philosophies and what he thinks about. It. I thought that was really interesting to me. And um, I, I'm assuming that, you know, how do you feel that most of your audience know that you do these fitness classes at the weekends and in your spare time? Yeah, I think a lot of people do. I, I, I refer to it quite often, um, and I always make a bit of a, of a of a fun thing about it in in the podcast. And if, if I'm standing on stage, I'll often say to people, you know, I'm a marketing guy from Edinburgh, but I'm also a body combat instructor, and I'll start punching and kicking on the stage, and maybe that scares people <laughs> a little bit. Um, but it sort of ties in quite nicely with my sort of theme of trying to fight complexity yeah. in marketing and this, that, and the other. But do you know what the combat thing? And, and I also teach a, a sort of yoga-based class called Body Balance, and I also actually teach yoga as well. And as soon as we finish this podcast recording, I'll be diving out to teach my power yoga class at half past 11. And I suppose it, it developed way back when I was working for big corporate. I was doing the usual thing. I was up really early. I was either traveling to London or going to the office day to day, wall to wall meetings, really stressful, you know, the senior management throwing stuff at you all the time. And I was just getting fat. I was getting unfit and probably drinking far too much as well and eating crap food as I was traveling around. And my wife dragged me along to one of these body combat classes one day, almost literally had to drag me in because I was, I'm not bloody doing aerobics, Trisha, for goodness sake. I don't want to get into any of that <laughs> Jane Fonda type uh, lycra. And and the thing was this, this combat class was music, but it was, it was punching and kicking. And it almost felt like you all of a sudden were teleported into a Bruce Lee movie. It was, it was yeah. a bit like that. And I actually thought do you know what I quite like this I maybe didn't admit it to the wife at first but I, I quite liked it and over we did it for about a couple of years maybe two or three times a week and it got me fit and then one day one of the instructors said do you know why don't you do the training for this you're so into it and I thought well that's the most stupid idea I've ever heard but I thought about it and I thought you know as a side project it wouldn't be a bad idea it would just be something completely different to corporate life so I sort of did a fitness um, qualification in my spare time in the evening at night school. And then I went on this body combat training course. And I guess when I went on the course, I was thinking all the way through, do you know what? Once I've passed this, it'll just be tick the bucket and move on. You know, I'm not going to do anything with it. Um, so I passed the course. I had a lot of fun on the course. And uh, about three days after I passed the course, I got a phone call from Bannertines on Queen Street in Edinburgh, absolutely desperate for somebody to cover their class. So I went along and taught it, got a great reaction. And then within weeks, I started getting more and more people asking for cover. And I sort of blinked and a couple more years went by and I was teaching like nine classes a week and doing a corporate job as well. So it, it, it created a great juxtaposition from the the marketing corporate job I was doing and keeping fit and also just doing something completely different and motivating people in a different way. And I'm not doing nine classes now. I only do six, but it's still, it's still great. And it still wow. keeps me fit and motivated. So how long have you been doing this for then? I started doing body combat in 2004. So it'll be my 15th anniversary of doing it this wow. year. And I, I did body balance in that would have been 2006 and then I qualified as a yoga teacher in 2010. So 15 years of, of fitness teaching yeah. on top of uh, all the other marketing stuff. So it's a, a big part of your life then. And I, I love it how it's become part of your 
personal brand as well. Like you're, you know, you share it on Instagram, you talk about it on the stage. It's become sort of like part of who you are. You've managed to sort of, you've, you've crafted it into your whole story, which I think is like, uh, from a personal brand perspective, being able to pull all these elements of your life together into one story is, is pretty cool. I love it. Absolutely love it. So this is going back 15 years or so. When did you transition out of corporate then, Roger? Well, I was I was working in and out of big corporates from I mean, my first day at work, believe it or not, was on the day of the stock market crash in 1987. Uh, and I started in this company and everybody was just panic stricken because the markets had basically tanked and everybody was losing money and unit prices and bond prices were low. Uh, and so I just sat around in this company doing nothing for a week whilst everybody else ran around like headless chickens. And I was sort of in and out of corporate from 1987 all the way through to 2012 and various marketing roles in various companies. Um, at one point, I was the startup. Uh, I was part of the startup company, which eventually became known as Bright Grey, which was a great name for a brand. Um, that, that I was a startup part of the executive team for that. That was um, 2001. And I effectively worked for Bright Grey, which was then subsumed within a bigger company called Royal London. And for all sorts of internal corporate reasons they they were one of these companies that got you to reapply for your job every two years or 18 months and I guess when it came around in 2012 and they said they wanted me to reapply for my job I decided to say I didn't want to <laughs> and it was well you'll get it it's just the usual process we've got to go through I guess they want to try and get rid of the bottom 10 percent I'm not particularly keen on that process but I guess that's what they were trying to do but I just said no I'm not doing this I think time has come for me to move on and and do something on my own and I think that do you know what the thing was it was around this time that I discovered podcasting probably a little bit earlier actually and blogging in fact as part of Bright Grey I um, set up probably one of the first blogs in the United Kingdom. Although I, when I set it up, I didn't really know it was a blog. It was just a, a series of personal articles that I'd written and other people had written about the industry. The problem was is that the company wasn't interested in the emerging digital scene. You know, Twitter was seen as something to be scared of. Social media was seen as something to be scared of. Video, we don't do video unless we hire the BBC to come in and do a gigantic production that costs millions. And I'm sitting there thinking... Look at the opportunities this can give us. You know, I started listening to podcasts like Marcus Sheridan's um, Sales Lion, pod, Mad Marketing Podcast, and and Mitch mm. Joel, and and uh, obviously came across your your podcast and the CMA as well. And I'm thinking, I've got to get out of this company and start working with people that want to do exciting things with marketing, because sadly, financial services often lags behind in development for various reasons. Some of them were regulatory, and I understand that. Uh, and I guess that financially, personally, everything just aligned in 2012, and that was it. Out I went. Roger Edwards' marketing became a reality. That's awesome. I think a lot of things happened around that time. Like It's the same for me, about 2010 is when I started my first blog, started taking social media a little bit more seriously, and also I transitioned out of my long term as a 10 not as long as yours roger 10 years in a in the one place in the one in the one job uh, into my own into my own freelancing consulting world i guess 
which is pretty cool. I think a lot of things happened there. I think a lot of our friends are the same as well, actually, around about that same time. And it was out of that frustration, wasn't it? That, mm-hmm. you know, you're frustrated because you can't sort of like do the things that you really feel like you should be doing, like the blogs, the podcasting, the video, the social media. You feel like you're sort of trying to do it all with your with your hands tied behind your back. The um, the great thing about what you're doing now, if we come sort of back up to speed, I guess, with where you are now, you've been working hard on writing a book. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much your audience know about this, and I don't know how much you want to give away, but we can talk about it. Um, I think we should talk about it because the great thing is is that um, you've got that 20, if my maths is right, 50, 25 years of uh, work working in corporate, yeah? Yep. And then you've had about 10 years or so of working outside of corporate. And you've got this sort of like this perspective now. You can, you've seen it from inside. You can see it from outside now too. And your, your whole thing is about fighting this complexity in marketing, keeping marketing simple. Um, what, with your book in mind, I just want, in fact, I want the audience to know a little bit about your process that you've been going through with your book first before we get into really what the book is all about, what kind of problems it's going to solve and who who the book is actually for. So what what have you been up to? What have you been, like, you've been working, I know you've been burrowing away in the background doing all this work. What's your process look like? What have you been up to? Well, I, I decided I wanted to write the book probably about two years ago. And I, I procrastinate. That's one of my, one of my big problems is I do procrastinate. But eventually, you, I, I just decided that this is very important to me. I want to do it. I've got lots of stories to tell. Uh, I want to help people to keep things simple because I see complexity in marketing, not only in big companies and the corporates that I've worked in myself, but also in smaller companies. They almost seem to think that to be like a big corporate is a, is some sort of goal to aspire to. And, and the problem is, is that complexity either of communication or of product or of service, just doesn't engage with the customer. And I just feel that I almost have a duty to try to help people to understand that. And I've always had this framework in my head, which probably goes back to the very, very early days when I was in big corporate and I was a young guy, desperate to succeed, desperate to understand things. And I was invited one year to take part in the corporate strategic review. And, and, and to be perfectly honest, Chris, the role that I was to take in that review, I think, was basically just to take the notes. You know, I wasn't senior enough to, to, to really make much of a contribution. Although by the end of the, the week, I was desperate to say things. And, and there were this, this, this process was just so complicated. And I, I guess it's what I would describe as the academic marketing process. So, you know, you talk about customer focus and you talk about research and segmentation and targeting and positioning and strategic goals, price, product, place, promotion, all of that stuff, SWOT analysis, pest analysis, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Boston grids, all of that stuff. And, and you know, you can see the life draining out of people because it's just, it's become this horrible bureaucratic institution. And, and I'm sitting there and thinking, do you know what? All we're really asking is who's the customer that we want to serve? What problem or what issue does our customer have? And then how does our product or service solve that customer's problem? And then once we know that, we just go away and communicate it in whatever way works for that particular audience. Now, of course, 25 years ago, that was banner ads, magazine ads, and 
very, very small, um, cheap TV ads. But now, of course, we've got digital and we can look at all sorts of different things. But it, it goes that far back to that sort of real in-depth corporate muppetry of just weeks and weeks in rooms, sticking post-it notes on walls and rearranging them. And management consultants being being paid millions of pounds to say things like paradigm shift and strategic staircases and stuff like that. And I guess I developed this almost like career long obsession with making it simple. And and the book is really just going to be a process of how to put together a marketing strategy almost without using that word strategy. Just let's make it simple for people to understand and a process you can go through to come up with stuff and that could be content or it could be more traditional types of communication that engages with the customer. And, and I guess that's why that's why we get on so well, because obviously content marketing is so much more about engaging. Obviously, ultimately, the aim is for somebody to buy your stuff. But the approach is so much more about understanding the customer and engaging with them than just finding ways to bash them over the head with sales messages and that sort of thing. So so the process really started with all these, the, the, what my version of that ac- academic process would be. And to be honest, what I've done is I've just gone through that process and littered it. Is that a good word? Littered? Embellished it with stories that I've picked up from all the years that I've been in corporate and since I've been out consulting working with smaller companies. It's interesting, I think, to to hear this because you've got this great perspective, right? You've got inside the organizations, you've got the outside perspective, you're working with other companies too. So you're seeing like three different lenses, which I think's uh, I, I can't wait to to sort of read about your insights and your stories. And I, I really hope that you've got at least a couple of pages in there with just where you've just <laughs> written down all the ridiculous words and phrases that management use. I just uh, that's that's what I find hilarious is all the words that we use to try and you know where 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 simple language could be replaced and much more understood by people. What um what I find fascinating though, Roger, and I'd love for you to sort of riff on this because I can feel you getting energetic about the topic. Is why is it why do marketing people in marketing departments and leadership overcomplicate this? How are they? How can they forget? about the customer so quickly in the whole thing. Why, why, is that, why is that a problem? Like based on your experience like that you've had, how, how did they get to this point where they've forgotten what they're doing, essentially? Goodness gracious. Do you know, I mean, again, if I think back 25 years, I think that quite a lot of, um, certainly in the financial services companies that I was working in, perhaps the marketing people weren't, and I was one of them, weren't actually trained in that classical way to think marketing starts with the customer need. It was more about how can we sell stuff and make lots of money? And it was almost like we don't really care about the customer as long as we make money. And that was the starting point. And 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 I and I became aware of that quite quite early on. And I remember having some very in-depth conversations with some of my early bosses and and getting quite grumpy and irritable with them and trying to change that perception. And I guess as I got more senior within companies, I started being recognized as somebody who was seen as a almost like a customer champion. Um, I remember when they offered me the marketing director role at, uh, at the managing director role at uh, Bright Grey eventually. I mean, I, I said, when the guy said, we want to make you MD, my jaw went through about three floors all the way down to the ground floor. And I said, well, 
A, I'm not an actuary, and B, I'm not a finance accountant. So what on earth are you doing wanting to make me MD of a financial services company? And they said, but you understand the customer. You know what we need to do to engage with the customer. And I guess that that was 20 years of fighting against that inertia. I also wonder, Chris, and, and, and again, I think we've had this conversation over a few beers a few times. I think sometimes marketing, certainly today, we all only ever hear about the communications elements. So, you know, I, I get people ring me up, speak to me, come to my website and say, Roger, can you help us with our Twitter marketing? Or can you help us with our email marketing? Or we need to do some video marketing. And I'll always say, well, that's fine. I can help you. But tell me about your strategy. And sometimes they'll actually almost like slam the door in my face. We're not interested in strategies. We, don't, we want to do videos. We want to tweet. We want to email. And and it's almost as if they just think they can do the communication without doing the, the work in the background, without working out who the customer is, without working out what their problem is, without working out how their product and service is better and different than everybody else's and and maybe maybe it's just that I'm an old git but I'm just thinking you can't communicate about something if you haven't defined it you can't communicate to a group of people unless you know who they are you know yeah. and and so I think it's so the longer term I think it's sometimes corporate objectives are more profit related than they are customer related and and you can see that in the dreadful service that you get from a lot of big corporates now but i think that in the for, for maybe for younger marketers maybe they've just been sold the fact that marketing is just about communication and they don't need to worry about that it. some it's somebody else's problem to define the customer and i just think maybe if the marketers did understand a bit more about the customer then they wouldn't overcomplicate it. They wouldn't make the communications too um, wordy or bloated because by understanding the customer, they'd know the customer doesn't want that and that complicated communication isn't engaging. And maybe they're just not talking to customers to find that out. Yeah, I think you've highlighted one of the major challenges that marketers and leaders have is that they just aren't as obsessed as they need to be about their customers. So something that I have a major challenge with and I have major frustration with as well. And like we, we align on a lot of this stuff as trying to get marketers and leadership to, to get obsessed with their customers so much so they don't forget them and forget who they are. And I think that's what is emphasizes this uh, major trend that's happening in the marketing space just now where they're saying that customer service and customer experience is the new marketing right? Mm. It's that's, but the thing is we, we could talk, we could talk at length about this, but the fact is that nothing has changed. You know, 25, 30 years ago, it should have been about the customer. Then it's all, it should be about the customer now. And um, the more closer we can get to the customer, the better we can understand them. The more we can sort of understand their needs, get emotion, emotionally connect with them, the more likely we are to be successful as a business. And it needs people like you, Roger, in all organizations that are there thinking about the customer first and being able to shape the conversations in boardrooms and meetings and strategy sessions so that the customer is always included as part of the discussions as part of the decision making process love it so do you feel like this book is that what what's the philosophy of this book the book is going to i don't know if i'm going to put you on the spot here or not but who is going to be picking this book up why are they going to use it in their in their business is it you know is it for entrepreneurs is it for marketers is it for corporate marketers in-house marketers is it for all these people 
Do you know, Chris, that's a really, really good question. And I think probably the best thing for me to do, I'm actually just going to read out a little bit from the introduction. And so this is almost like a world exclusive excerpt from the book. So this is what I say in the introduction after the preamble. It says, my aim with this book is to make marketing simple and most importantly, to make marketing strategy simple. Marketing is so much more than advertising and promotion, collectively known as communications. We must think about the customer and what they need and how our products and services can help them before we ever put pen to paper or type words on screens or press send on an email or sign off on an advertising campaign. We must have a strategy, but strategy is a word people associate with complexity and pain for long days locked in meeting rooms with piles of post-it notes and marker pens. Young people shy away from strategy because the way some companies do it sucks the energy and creativity out of them. The veterans resign themselves to it because they lack the will to fight back against the way some companies do it. Strategy sucked the energy and creativity out of them long ago. I'm not knocking marketing MBAs, degrees, any of those academic models. The sales of billions of products prove they work, but the complexity can put off those who aren't marketing experts by education or practice. I want to show you how to put together a simple marketing strategy. We're aiming for simple. We're aiming for engaging. So who is this book for? Whilst I'd love for everyone to read it, this book isn't going to do much for people with marketing degrees, marketing MBAs, or people high up in big corporate marketing roles. You'll most likely find it too simplistic. Basic even. You'll probably disagree with many of the things I say, but if you do read it, I'd love your feedback. My heart's in the right place after all. I want people to understand what marketing is, the full process, not just the bit we now call marketing communications or digital marketing or social media marketing. No, it's aimed at people running small businesses, people wanting to start small businesses, people who don't know much about marketing, maybe people who think it's a black art or it's too complicated or too expensive or full of snake oil salesmen. I hope it's more than a marketing for dummies book. I'm not a fan of those titles, by the way, but it's much less than a degree or an MBA summarized in a book. My aim is to teach you about marketing without getting complicated, without using jargon, management speak, mumbo jumbo or gobbledygook to help you put together a marketing strategy without even using the word strategy. Maybe after reading this book, you'd like to explore a bit more of the traditional discipline and dare I say the more academic stuff. You should feel confident enough to put together a marketing strategy for your business using the model I've outlined. So what I'm really interested in, in Roger, is this book is is drafted, right? What's the process look for next? What what look like next? And also, I want to know a little bit about how this is going to shape the future of Roger Edwards and his marketing consulting. And uh, I, I'm I'm massively excited about this because a couple of my friends have published books recently. You're another friend that's going to be publishing a book in the near future as well. So I'm curious about how you feel about it, how you think this is going to shape your career. Uh, what kind of opportunities this might give to you and j- just generally how you feel about this piece of work going out into the marketplace. Now, the book has already got to be quite big. I think I, or- I originally targeted about 50,000 words and I'm there already. And somebody did tweet me once when I said I've hit 50,000 words and they said, well, it, it can't be a very good book about keeping things simple if it's as bloody long as that. I think, there's, I think the narrative works and the stories that I've included within it works. So I think there's probably about another 5,000 words to actually finish off the narrative so that I've got this whole 
process that people can go through for putting together marketing strategies without using the word strategy, of course. What I then want to do is to include within the book probably between six and eight case studies of companies, probably smaller companies, that are actually doing it, that are actually keeping things simple from a strategy point of view, but also from the content they produce or the marketing communications that they produce. And the next stage for me is to, is to I've, I've, got an, I've got it in my head who I want to talk to. If I can get their permission, then we'll have some telephone interviews and I'll write it up and include that in the book. The final thing that I want to do is I want to in, include a script as an appendix to the book, which is part of the earlier narrative where I, I basically put together a TV advertise, uh, advertisement and the research that we did at the time suggested that this will bomb significantly with 50% of the population. The other 50% of the population will love it to bits. And when you get something as Marmite as that, you actually have to take the decision not to do it because you can't risk, especially in the social media world we now live in, you can't risk um, that 50% of the population getting really offended. And we, we've seen it recently with quite a few adverts that have polarised opinion. And, and I thought that would be a really nice sort of bookend to uh, uh, end game to the book. Then the next part of the process is I need to go through it once more to edit it um, because I've probably made some of the stories far too long, so they need to be chopped down. Then it's going to go to a professional editor who'll probably slice quite a lot out of it. And then after that, it's self-publishing. And I'm the ultimate aim of the book, really, Chris, is is almost like the, the, the framework that I will use with my customers going forward to help them with their marketing strategies. So from a consultancy point of view, it almost becomes the worksheet. It almost becomes the blueprint. You know, I, I could theoretically just say to a customer, here's the book, read it, go away and do it. Hopefully that won't, that won't happen and they'll invite me in to help them. But technically, you know, that, that might be enough. And secondly, there are so many stories within the book, some of which you've heard on stage. You know, the cat sat on the mat story is in there. There are stories of me appearing on television to defend companies against stupid decisions. That was a watchdog experience I really don't want to go through again. And one of those defining moments when I realized that the customer was so important and, and, a lot of those stories, I can build them into my speeches, my keynotes, my workshops, and hopefully having a book will give me a little bit more social proof and it will just be another thing that I can use to kickstart my speaking career. Um, and obviously, you and I have worked together with um, World Class Communications, Marcus Sheridan. I've learned so much about changing my speaking style over the years, and, and I'm really excited about that. So really, the book is is an, hopefully a door opener for more consultancy and more speaking engagements. Yep, I agree. I think it's going to be a game changer. So this book uh, will come out and it's going to open up loads of opportunities for you. I'm really excited for you, Roger. You've got a lot a lot happening. We're on the 200th podcast. You've got your book coming out. Feels like uh, just feels like there's always new growth happening, right? It's always good to have something to look forward to, something to be excited about that you've created. And um, I've started to write a book many times and yeah. failed. So um, I, I think it's just an, an amazing achievement to watch one of your friends slog through 50, 60,000 words and go through, you know, you're about to go through possibly maybe the most painful exercise, which is the edit and then into self-publishing as well. So I'm really excited for you, Roger. I can't wait for it to come out. And I hope that a lot of your audience will support you 
and uh, pre-ordering your book and buying your book and sharing it with people as well. And I think you're right. I think it becomes your blueprint. It becomes a thing that people are going to say, this is who Roger Edwards is. This is what you're, you become known for. And hopefully that means that a bunch of people are going to hire you and want you to speak on their stages. Um, yeah, dead excited for you, Roger. It's amazing. Uh, I think the one thing that we probably don't talk about enough, uh, Roger, is, um, uh, is our families. Mm. And I think a lot of people on the listen to this podcast are probably similar. You know, you maybe you're a freelancer, maybe you're an in-house marketer. Uh, you know, you, we all work hard. Some of us are working 40, 50 hours a week. Some of us are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, whatever it might be. And our work takes over our life. We talk to our friends, uh, like the conversations we have, Roger, for example, are always mainly about work. You know, you know, what gigs are we getting? Can we make referrals? What house business, etc. And, uh, you know, the one thing I just don't think is in our conversations enough is our families. Mm. Um, and the reason for that, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I'm a, a young dad and, and, not in my age, but the fact that my kids are young. <laughs> I'm definitely not young uh, in terms of being a dad as a later dad. But I think one of the things that I found, Roger, is that kids tend to write things. Like, so they create constraints that you actually become grateful for, etc. And I think they put a lot of things right in your life in terms of getting what people would probably call something like a work-life balance, which mm. depending on what school of thought you come from could be you know you might agree or disagree with that so it's interested in you know and i don't think maybe your audience know what happens i mean you, you've got mrs edwards obviously you've got the cats you've got your son who's at university and i was thinking just thinking about the timeline from you in corporate and taking up the yoga uh sort of going to yoga with your with your wife and does the timeline coincide with you becoming a dad as well is it around about the same time when you, when you were starting to get a little bit fed up with what was happening in corporate and the family was starting to shape. I'm kind of interested in that time in your life yeah. when you became a dad and things started to transition into something else for you. Do you know that that's very perceptive? It was absolutely around the same time. My wife and I had been married 25 years. It was our 25th wedding anniversary last year. Um, in 1993, which was the year we moved up to Scotland, we managed to do three out of the four most stressful things that people say can happen to you in your life so we moved house we moved jobs and we got married um, and that was when we moved up to Edinburgh and we've, we've, we've never moved anywhere else since sadly we couldn't have children naturally so the first 10 years of our married life was probably a little bit different to what you know a lot of people get married have a couple of years then start to ha have children and that didn't happen for us we couldn't have children we, we tried IVF we tried a few other things um, so we probably did a lot of things that couples do when they retire. <laughs> so we, we went on the, the Caribbean holidays and, and we traveled around Europe and that sort of thing. Um, and then we started to investigate the possibility of adoption. And and that's actually quite a, a long, tortuous process. It was a lot a longer process than I ever thought it would be. Um, it took over two years, but we adopted a little boy from South Shields in uh, Newcastle called Andrew, and and he came to live with us in two thousand and five. So that was the that was about six months after I qualified as a as a body combat instructor, and yeah, I, I guess that was that moment when you think you know big corporate. I'm up and down to London two or three times a week, and I remember my boss at the time saying to me, "You've now got a child." You know, even though even though you've missed out on the nappy years because he was he was four when he came to live with us, you know, you've still got to cherish every single moment that you can have with that child. And this guy told me a story of another of one of his bosses who just one day just resigned from the company, 
and and he asked him why he resigned and, and he said you know what i can't remember the last time i saw my children in daylight and that one sentence really struck home with me and th- i thought that is really scary and you know, after that, I think, yeah, there was more focus on the yoga, more focus on the work-life balance. As I became more senior within the corporates, I was not one of these clock-watching people who made people stay till 7 o'clock at night and you had to be in at 7.30 in the morning. I wasn't there until 9 a.m. I wasn't staying after 5 p.m. because I wanted to get home to see the family. And I, and I guess, yeah, around about that time of the adoption, time of the combat, that's when everything changed. And I suppose that's that's when the, the clock started ticking on big corporate. And I have to say, Chris, since I left big corporate, became a consultant, became my own boss, probably is the most relaxed and happy and chilled that I've ever been. And the, the family has, uh, you know, the, Andrew's grown up now. He's, he's at Aberdeen University. He's, he's becoming an architect. He's got another five and a half years of architecture to do. So I can't retire just yet because uh, I still have to pay some of the bills. Uh, but, you know, it's amazingly proud to see him now driving his own car. Some of the work that he's putting together, some of the drawings that he does, fantastic. And you just, you can't help but have that that pride brimming over. Um, but yeah, I think it's very important because you've said already, we're surrounded these days by the hustle, the hustle vibe that we get. You know, you've got to work 48 hours a day. You've got to push, push, push. And social media conditions us to only see the positives. But there are the times when you've just got to sit back and say, no, that's got to stop. I've got to focus on the family. And that might mean taking a week off, relaxing, having a conversation, um, which is admittedly harder these days when everybody's glued to the phones. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that um, work-life balance, I, I don't like that term, but having that sort of balance in your life is incredibly important. And I think with me, it started with the fitness and then when Andrew came along, that that just basically changed everything. Yeah, it's a really important conversation for us for us all to have. As I think this is the challenge. I know I'm the interviewer, not the not the actual host of the podcast. <laughs> but I'll take my opportunity while I can get it. Is the challenge for all of us is to is to if when the next time we have a, a business friend that we're having coffee with, or we're you know having a Zoom call or a Skype call with a business friend or a colleague, is that some point in that conversation, maybe towards the end, is just to ask about how they are, how their family is, how the kids are, what they're up to, and be genuinely interested in what's going on in people's personal lives. Because that's what life is all about to me. Yet we work. Work is, like in most cases, a means to an end, right? We Hopefully we love what we do, you know, and, and we're passionate about it, and we're excited about it, and we have a sense of purpose with our work. But at the end of the day, what are we who is our work actually for? I think we have to think about those big things too. So I just wanted to bring that in and let people understand that there is, you know, there is a big part of our lives that go kind of like unnoticed or unspoken about. So uh, Roger, podcast episode 200, 200 episodes, 200. I mean, I don't know how many interviews are in there, but I think the majority of them are interviews. You're thinking about the future of the podcast. I'd love to know who would be like your absolute hero guest, or maybe there's several. Who would you love to have on your show in the future? Well, somebody tweeted me when I was saying I'm getting close to episode 200. 
and he says, oh, you're going to have to have a really high-profile guest on the show. And and I just replied to the tweet and said, well, like who? And he replied and said, Tony Robbins. And I thought, do you know what? That's just bollocks. It'll just never, ever happen. But But you never know. I mean, one of the things I learned very early on in my podcasting career was that, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And you know, I, I can't even remember who it was now. It was something, somebody like Ryan Hanley, uh, who was quite a, a, a famous marketer at the time. Somebody said, why don't you get Ryan Hanley on the, on the podcast? And I just laughed at the same way as I laughed at Tony Robbins and said, there's no way Ryan would come on the podcast for a financial services guy in the UK. So this guy actually emailed Ryan Hanley for me. And, and Ryan Hanley said, yes, of course, I'll go on the podcast. So if you don't ask, <laughs> you'll never get... And I still don't think Tony Robbins will come on. But, you know, I think that um, I I just like to talk to interesting people, Chris. Um, I Mm -hmm. I don't really have an ambition to talk to a Richard Branson or a, I don't know, a a Barack Obama. Yeah, they're very famous and they're very interesting people. But I I don't have that need to have incredibly famous people on the show. I just like to have conversations with people who've got really interesting stories to tell. And and some of those people, some people may never have heard of. And that's fine. Those are the sort of people I want to talk to as well. And one of those persons is you. You have an interesting story too. And um, I really hope that your audience have learned something new about you in this interview, Roger. That was kind of my main objective was like, what am I interested in about Roger? What do I not know about Roger just as much as I would like to? And um, I hope that we've asked you some good questions and people have learned something and taken something away from today as well. I don't know if you have anything else you want to talk about or you want to add to our conversation. I think just the fact that one of the reasons I love podcasting so much is that you often get so much out of talking to the people that you interview. Um, you know, I've, I've often described it almost as like an hour of free consultancy, depending upon who you're talking to. I've never, ever been interviewed myself on my own podcast, and it's probably long overdue. And in the same way as I've learned a lot from the people I've interviewed, I've actually learned a lot today from you interviewing me. So I'm so pleased we decided to do this because I'm sitting here thinking there's a few things I've written down now that I need to follow up on. So Chris, thank you so much for your business expertise over the years. Thanks thanks for your friendship and your motivation and your community. Thanks for being my guest interviewer. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Roger. It's like, it's my pleasure. I feel massively grateful to be asked and to be here. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.